0: Welcome back to the Work for It podcast. Before we get started, I want to go ahead and shout out our um, sponsors and our Patreon. So, our sponsors are Maritime Knife Supply. If you are a maker, you can find everything you possibly need at MaritimeKnifeSupply.com. Go check it out, they have great prices, they ship quick, and they're just, Lawrence Lake is a great guy. You can also check out Baker Forge and Tool if you need some crazy Damascus. They've got some really cool stuff and um, they're always coming out with really cool new patterns over at Baker Forge and Tool. And also they've got Gator Piss over there, which is the best etching solution out there. Also, we couldn't do this without you guys over at Patreon. Thank you guys so much for your support. Let's get into the show. Ryan Coakley Doakley, how the hell are you, man?
1: great man how's it going
0: dude i'm doing great um how's that hustle and grind show going i was literally just listening to it before we sat down um you you did some really cool interviews over there and man i couldn't be more excited to interview you now
1: it's it's going great it's uh uh the growth has been very humbling um we're are you gonna play that music the whole time
0: no, I'm, I'm fading it out. Don't worry about it. That. <laughs> See, that's something, that's something I could, you know, maybe raz you about, you know, with, with your show. I have always listened, and for some reason, when you guys start it off, it starts off really loud, and then you just slam it right down to the ground.
1: Yeah, I, it's super loud, and it's like, okay, that's enough. Let's get into it. <laughs> but the show's doing great. Uh, I took over, when was it? September, late September? Yeah. October? Um, we've probably seen a 40 percent spike in listens oh wow listens follows subs uh the only thing we haven't seen a huge spike in is patrons okay. um but we're i mean you guys ask for patrons and we're not there yet we've got it recorded but i've got to fit it in the show somewhere so
0: why don't you ask for patrons, patrons we're going because- to because okay all right it w-
1: all right it was Brian House's idea. I said, "House, how do I get patrons like you guys cuz you guys have over 100 and we've got like 26?" Sure. And he was like, "You just got to ask."
0: I mean, people want to support you. You guys put on a great show every week.
1: Oh, I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, Noah was a great addition.
0: Yeah, Noah Bloomberg was a great great addition. He's he's just one of those funny guys that I feel like he he's one of those type of guys that I feel like could either run an interview by himself or just do a show by himself because he's so funny
1: yeah and it's a good you need like contrasting hosts Mm. and i'm i'm very like from shoot from the hip wing it i don't do any research on the guests beforehand (laughs) and noah is very organized and he's got like a like notes in front of him every episode so it's a good balance he keeps me in check and then i keep his obsessiveness in check so.
0: Right. I mean, there's always that cool balance of structure with Noah where he's got bits or he's got topics or he's, you know, switching things up or Florida man or, or fraud. Where on the other hand, you've got you who kind of, like you just said, shoots from the hip. You, you know, you always are good with going down at a tangent and really coming up with some interesting things. So it's a really cool balance there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It works really well.
0: It does. It does. So, Ryan, I want to ask, you know, before we get into the show, what's going on in your shop this week?
1: Um, I am etching stencils today and then on on a batch of 50 little cleavers. Right. And then I've got to, after the stencils are done, I got to take them inside and wash them and then I got to etch them all black and sharpen them and mail them out.
0: So you're coming up to the end of another batch of 50. Is that, like, the second
1: or third of them? That's the second batch.
0: The second batch of 50. That's wild. Yeah. yeah. How does it feel to, like, man, it, it seems like now that you've done two, does it feel like, you know, it's going to be a regular thing?
1: I I hope so. It, it's, right. very, it's very good for um, my sanity when it comes to, like, keeping caught up on bills Mm. but it also spikes some of my bills my power bill i got the bill yesterday it was 670 dollars
0: oh my god yeah elect
1: electricity here in maine super high now with that being said it's middle of winter here so we've got like i've got a one of them electric infrared fireplaces in my living room that runs all the time and so there's other things draining on it in the winter but it's it's definitely uh it's it's interesting too because to do a big batch it changes your process right like we do the same process every time but now you're doing it 50 times in a row on each step
0: right right
1: so it's kind of it's interesting
0: i imagine it gets a little bit monotonous
1: some of the steps absolutely uh gluing up all the handles oh my god you're just sitting there, because you can't mix up 50 knives worth of epoxy at once and right. glue them all at once, so I'm doing like, I I figured it out, if I count to 10 when I'm squeezing out my epoxy, it'll give me 7 handles worth of a epoxy to work with, so I'm doing 7 at a time. and
0: That's one of those fun things that you would only know because you're doing giant batches. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like those, um, those bar keeps that are like those crazy mixologists where they... They flip up the bottle, and they count to however, and that's however many shots. Like, yeah. you do that with epoxy now.
1: Yeah, I guess. <laughs> so, when are you going
0: to start, like, flipping those bottles around and doing all those bar barkeep tricks? You know, have you ever seen those?
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: That'd be a fun little reel.
1: <laughs> I guess it would <laughs> Somebody be. Somebody better they're, do that. They're small bottles, but...
0: Yeah, you know, yeah. that's what it is. So, now that you have this, you know, recurring 50 cleaver batch so how long does it take you the whole month or do you do you have time to do other things outside of that 50 a month
1: the first batch took me three weeks and that was no going to my day job no anything else just working in the shop all day for three weeks for three weeks straight um this batch i ordered all my materials in bulk so they took a little longer um so i kind of had to really crunch down and the deadline so they give me a four to six week deadline. The four week deadline is today. Wow. So, so they'll be in the mail tomorrow. So they're fine. Um, okay. But I started them probably two and a half weeks ago.
0: So you're getting a little bit better. A um, little faster. How, I guess, do they require that everything's cut out by like angle grinder or could you, I mean, I guess that's, that's the question, you know, because it's a big high production type of a thing. Do you see yourself going to like a water jet type situation?
1: Probably eventually. Um yeah. I've got a I've got enough material on hand to make another 100. So after that 100, I'll probably start looking into having them cut out. I mean, and the cutting out and profiling and drilling the holes, that's only one day. Right. It it's a whole day, but it's only one day. The thing that really I hate about it is I do it with an angle grinder and it smells so bad. Right the angle grinder stink is just it sticks to your clothes it's all over you like after i cut these ones out i had to go in and shower because i was black like my arms were black my face were like inside my respirator everything was black
0: right but you have to think you know there's if it's a day a month that you're getting back i mean that's that's two weeks in a year or damn near two weeks in a year that you'd be clawing back just by ordering them instead of cutting them out yourself and then also all of that stink in your shop
1: right and it it's also like i could spend that day working on custom orders because i'm still taking custom orders too so with with that batch of 50 i've got one two i got seven other customs some some aren't some aren't promised till next month but then uh, two of them are promised by valentine's day so i gotta have so while everything's etching today, I'll be gluing up handles on a chef knife and an EDC and like, you know.
0: Promise by Valentine's Day, somebody's got one hell of a spouse.
1: I guess, yeah.
0: Oh my gosh, a Valentine's Day knife?
1: Yeah, a, a, Um. did you see that reel I posted with the big old chef knife with the fuller in it?
0: I have seen your your diamond grinds, is that what you're talking about?
1: Uh it's kind of a variation of the diamond grind. Instead of leaving the wide fuller in the back, I flat grind over it and it oh. create it creates like a fuller cuz I don't have a fullering attachment. Gotcha. So I f- I kind of figured out on accident a way to do fullers without an attachment. Um
0: Well, tell us about
1: it. Oh, well, basically I just I start like I'm doing a diamond grind and with a diamond grind um your flat bevels towards the edge you stop them at the edge of the diamond, at the edge mm-hmm. of the hollow, and on these I flat grind over the hollow. So oh. then it it just leaves like a shallow fuller in the center. Or it's Interesting. like three quarters of the way up. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah.
0: So it's- with that being so high up on the on the knife itself, I know I know I've heard you talk about how it you know, helps with food release and whatnot. I just assume that everything that would help with food release would be a lot closer to the edge.
1: Yes, those are more aesthetic. Okay. It, those are basically just for looks, or it gives you a nice spot to pinch grip. If you pinch grip, you can pinch grip right into the fuller. Ooh.
0: Now I'm starting to think about how that would work. You know, oh my gosh, that would be comfortable because you've got those grooves to put your fingers in.
1: Yeah, but as far as like food release goes, it doesn't really help. If I wanted food, if I wanted them for food release, I'd have to move them way up towards the edge, mm, gotcha, or a, gotcha. or use a huge wheel. Like I use a four-inch wheel to make these. A lot of guys use a fourteen.
0: Okay, all right, interesting. Wow, okay. Well, cool. So let's go ahead and jump on over to you know. What? Tell me about what your plans are with the hustle and grind podcast, because it seems like right now you're interviewing, you're bringing a lot of people onto the show and you know, every week you're, you're having a conversation with some new people, which you, you guys have pulled some really big names out there, which is awesome. Do you, do you find yourself or do you think that it's going to be an interview show in perpetuity or do you think you're going to pull away from that?
1: I think so. I think it'll be an interview show for, the foreseeable future um my main goal right now is to grow the show right um we're still i i believe one of the smaller shows i would like to see us get up into the numbers that maybe like the work for it gets um and then you know i mean if we could get up to knife talk levels that'd be amazing but that's <laughs> well
0: don't let don't let jeff fader listen to that because he's you know no, nothing will ever ever get up to that size you know
1: <laughs> oh, I know. We're just we're just flea bags to him, but it's okay. Listen,
0: we're all flea bags. Let's let's be honest.
1: <laughs> I thought about changing our re- our drop date. You know how we drop on Tuesdays, right? I thought about changing it to Monday. Oh. Just because Jeff Vader says that all the Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday shows are bridge shows.
0: Right. Right. But. Yeah. Speaking of, this show is also dropping on a Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Man, we're, like, doubling up. When you're done listening to this, you should jump over to the, you know, hustle and grind or vice versa, I guess.
1: Absolutely. Um, also, I really enjoy having guests on because it gives me and Noah the opportunity to meet these people. Right. You know, like, we've got Jason Knight coming on again. Uh, oh, Andrea my gosh. A- Andrea De Leon's coming on again. Um, there's UFC fighters that i made knives for that have agreed to come on, but... I almost feel like I should save them for the Bro Down Showdown, my other show. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. uh, Jessica Rose Clark came on, and her numbers weren't any higher than our normal numbers. So, oh. you know, niche podcast. People aren't tuning in to listen to Australian chicks who punch people in the face for a living.
0: I mean, that sounds like an interesting show to me.
1: It was pretty good. It was pretty good.
0: Now, your Jason Knight interview... That, I think, was the first time that I heard him, like, go into the ex- conspiracy theory stuff. And I love that you got that out of him.
1: Yeah. Uh, the next show is going to be all aliens and stuff.
0: I know. You teased that before, and I'm so excited to listen to it. Like, Co- so, Neil Warren and I have kind of talked about this type of stuff before. And I I genuinely, like, I generally don't list, or consume conspiracy theory type stuff or any of that. Like, I, I just haven't, that. it's never been something that I've looked into, but I, after listening to that, like, it's almost made me want to go on face or er, on um, YouTube rabbit holes.
1: <laughs> YouTube rabbit holes are a scary place. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure. Uh, I find it, I don't believe most of it, I just find it interesting.
0: I've always thought of it as, like, just scary stories that adults tell each other. know
1: yeah but these people nowadays with the internet and like the unlimited access to other people's ideas and stuff like that it's gotten so much worse it's like and like i'll go down these rabbit holes just because i think it's funny like the hollow earth theory right where people believe that the earth is hollow and like uh shape-shifting reptilians live in the core of the earth and they actually rule the world and it's like holy shit and some people think space is fake.
0: Right. Yeah. So it like... it's all started off, like, the first one that I heard was the flat earth theory. And mm-hmm. I remember it being, like, it used to be um, flat earth came from, or the flat earth theory came from these debate, like, groups that would get together. And they would come, they would have, like, okay, well, you have to. Convincingly debate a topic that is just so outlandish that nobody would ever believe. And like the, the one that everyone or all of these groups would start with was like this flat earth, earth theory. And then those debates like turned into like these, cons- like it just kind of got out of control. And like, I'm not, I'm not shitting on anybody who believes in any sort of anything, like believe what you want to believe. It's, it's a free, you know, country or whatever but i just i've always thought of it as uh you know conspiracy theories are just something that got out of control and yeah
1: flat earth is an interesting one cuz it it the origin the basis of it is based in religion
0: oh i didn't know so,
1: that so yeah uh, um, oh
0: shit now now here i am t- shit talking a religious thing Damn
1: well it. It. it's like <laughs> back in the day before we had telescopes and science um fundamentalist christians believed that god made the earth the center of the universe and everything revolves around us um and somehow that turned into the flat earth theory in modern times um
0: I feel like there's a couple steps between those two, but you know, this isn't a history podcast. (laughs) Right, right. That's, that's
1: the short and skinny of it. Um, That is
0: like the extra short and skinny of it. Yeah. (laughs) So what is, I mean, let, let's go down this. Like what's, I, I am a noob with all of these conspiracy theory stuff. What is the most like crazy thing you've ever heard
1: for conspiracy theories? Sure.
0: Why not? Or we could, we could drop it and go on to something else
1: jeez i don't even know man some of them are pretty crazy
0: well hit me with something
1: um does flat earth hollow earth space is fake is a good one
0: okay so convince Um, me that space is fake from what you remember
1: oh there's no convincing that's a fucking total jumble of craziness (laughs) that's just whack jobs out there on the internet all um, right, I'm you know, gonna cross they're...
0: this bit off of my list real quick. <laughs>
1: <laughs> they've got. I thought
0: I had something here.
1: They've got like uh, obviously the fake moon landing one. Uh, sure. 9-11 was an inside job one.
0: JFK, I remember. J,
1: JFK, and now that the JFK files have been released, it's gotten like extra crazy. Oh yeah. Yeah. Now yeah, I've so.
0: heard I've heard that the JFK files have been released. Obviously, I haven't looked into any of this type of stuff. And I've also heard about, like, the government talking about aliens? And it's just like, I don't know, like, obviously I don't have time to, like, sit down and slog through these million-page article or, you know, document dumps. But it's just like, you know, I feel like if they were they were real and the government is releasing that they're real, it'd be, like, front-line news. Well, you
1: know? the the big conspiracy theory surrounding that is that You know, you've heard of the New World Order and all of the Illuminati and all of that.
0: I've heard I've heard of. I don't understand. Like, I I have such a crust level, non-depth knowledge of any of this type of stuff, because, again, I I don't consume any of this type of stuff and I don't know a damn thing about it.
1: Basically, the premise around it is that the world's elites all the most wealthiest people, most powerful people in the world, not the elected officials, uh, the people who tell them what to do. Um, they they want a one world government. Okay. And they want us all to be more easily controlled. Okay. Because with higher levels of control on us means their power increases. Is, sure. is Is the basis behind it. And then the conspiracy theory is that they're going to fake an alien attack to unite the world under a one world government. So that's that's. Oh.
0: I could see, like, in a dystopian novel, I could see how that could work.
1: Yeah. I mean, I mean he, here, probably not going to work so much because, you know, in America, we've, we're have we all so American that we'd be like, let him come, you know. Right, right. <laughs> they had to tell people not to shoot at that Chinese spy balloon.
0: Oh, people still did, I'm sure.
1: Oh, I'm sure. <laughs>
0: right. And that's just kind of funny, like, you know, th- and there's, I, I know, again, don't look into this type of stuff. I I I'm keep saying this it almost sounds like, you know, I don't know. But um you know, with that spy balloon, it's it's kind of such a weird situation because you know, how oft how often do you think stuff like that actually happens and no one ever realizes?
1: I think it happens all the time and the government knows that they're there. I mean, they knew they were there. Right. But As far as us as regular people, I mean, those things fly so high. It's like you probably wouldn't even see it from the ground with the naked eye, you know.
0: But the videos that those have come out, like, you can clearly see that in the sky. Like, it's so obvious. Yeah. I feel like any sort of blue day, if it was happening at any sort of regularity, people would be noticing.
1: I was trying to figure out what they were after because... the road data, like all of our topography, that's out there. That's Google right. Earth, man. You just go and look. You can go on Google Street View and walk around any town in America you want.
0: Right. And like, uh, what are so? I did see that it it stopped or it went right over some silos, like the nuclear silos. But yeah. Like what what camp Like what are you gonna notice on on a camera from a balloon that you wouldn't be able to get from a satellite?
1: Somebody told me. That it wasn't—they weren't looking at stuff; they were listening. So oh. it was, so it was what? flying over. It was flying over these military sites and collecting transmission data to try and figure out what frequencies our military is using.
0: Oh. Which like makes ra- a lot, of,
1: like oh. Which makes a lot of sense if if they're broadcasting, like if they're talking on a, a nuclear base to each other at, uh, I don't know, radio frequencies, but if it's at twenty-four hertz. And then the Chinese now know that they're communicating around that range. Then that gives them a leg up to, like, maybe block our communications. I don't know.
0: Right. But wouldn't it be, like, infinitely easier to just have someone, like... I mean, it's it's not like we can't just have someone come over. Like, yes, it would be a spy. But, like, how easy would it be to get within that same amount of range as that balloon flying over at, like, a mile up to just have someone go within a mile of it and have the same... Like, throw that shit in a truck and, and get the same stuff. I don't know. It just doesn't make sense to me.
1: Yeah, unless it's not a Chinese spy balloon and it was just them trying to get us excited.
0: Right, and that's that's the whole, you know, the, the you know, bait-and-switch type of a thing that happens all the time, I'm sure. Oh, goodness, so, that that should end conspiracy talk because, again, I have no idea anything about this type of stuff. So, Ryan, let's go ahead and go into your, you know, knife-making career. I want to talk about, you know, how it is that you got into knife-making.
1: Um, jeez, where did it start? One day, I was at work. Sure. And... We work on these two-wheeled tractors called a BCS. It's an Italian-made piece of equipment. And they have rototillers on them that have these big, gnarly-looking blades. Okay. And so one day I was like, oh, I'm, that would be a cool knife. I'm going to grind that into a knife. Oh, so I, okay. So I, I put it in a vise, and I grabbed the angle grinder that we used to sharpen blades with, and I put an edge on it.
0: I feel like we have to stop for a second because some people may not know that you were a small engine repair you know personnel or worker
1: i'm a master certified small engine um technician see
0: that sounds a lot better than what i said
1: (laughs) (laughs) i'm master certified in husqvarna echo briggs and stratton kohler kawasaki skag and toro
0: nice so with that like how many like what was the average thing that you would do to fix those type of things and what were you working on
1: Nine times out of ten, it's a gas-related problem. Okay. Uh, so I'm working on. I specialize in two-strokes, which is anything that runs off mixed gas. Um, handheld stuff like chainsaws, chainsaws especially. Uh, right. That's how I. That's how I got started. Oh, and, they're uh, just so
0: finicky, man.
1: It's really hard, and nobody wants to work on them
0: right. because
1: every symptom sounds the same. So. Yeah. I started with chainsaws, trimmers, stuff like that. And then um, I actually got my job on accident. I was doing like.
0: What? Hold on. You got your job on accident.
1: Yeah. I was doing property maintenance for my pops. Who's, he's not my dad, he's, he's, but he's the closest thing I've ever had. Um, Interesting. And he, he's a cool guy, and they own a bunch of rentals. And I was working for him doing property maintenance. And I needed a chainsaw file. So I just, I went into Bradstreet Lawn and Garden and I said, you know, I need to buy a file, blah, blah, blah. And at that point I was rebuilding junk chainsaws at home and selling them for extra money. And so I said, what do you guys do with all your junk chainsaws? And he said, why? I said, cause I rebuild them at home for extra money. And he goes, do you want a job? And I was like, yeah, yeah. He said, come in Monday okay <laughs> nice so and
0: you never know what type of a job that you'll get just by poking around like oh hey can i uh grab a whatever
1: yeah it's it's and crazy
0: how many times i've heard from people like oh i got my job at this place because i was asking about about one thing and they saw potential in me
1: yeah so like that first day was like a trial day and he had he had all my projects lined up for me he gave me a couple easy ones to start and then he had me rebuild the saw on like my first or second day nice and it it was successful and it i fit right in i mean they're great people to work for i've had issues with them in the past that looking back on it retrospectively was just me being burnt out sure and but other than that i mean you couldn't ask for a better boss we have tons of freedom like when I have these 50 knife orders, I'm like, "Mike, I I have a deadline I got to hit." And he's mm-hmm. like, "Okay, take next week off." I'm like, "Okay." Wow. Yeah, he don't care. I mean, care. that
0: that's one hell of a job situation. How many jobs in this world can you just be like, "Hey boss, uh, you know, I I have my own small business and I need to uh fuck off for a little while."
1: Every you know? one of the people that work there have their own business on the side.
0: That's awesome. That sounds like a great place to work. Yeah. Wow. So, anyways, going back to, you know, your first knife, you you had a. Let's just start that whole thing over. Let you know what was your first knife experience.
1: So it was that uh, tiller tine blade that I made, and I've still got it somewhere. It's in a junk drawer somewhere. Nice. Um, And then, you know, like everybody, I started looking into like what steel can I use around to make a decent knife, and I found out that. Uh, wheel horse lawnmower blades from the 80s and 90s were made out of 1080 oh nice yeah um and so I got some I still have a couple of them actually and uh I made my first knife out of a lawnmower blade and I was like oh this is cool it looks like shit I've still got it sitting right behind me on my bench
0: so tell me like did you start off with an idea of what type of knife that you were going to make out of it, or did you just go to the grinder and let it fall together?
1: Yeah, I didn't. I don't plan anything ahead of time usually. Gotcha. Um, so that's how, did how it I roll. Like,
0: most... tell me, tell me about the first one and what the process was like.
1: It was what like tools. A, were you working on? I had an angle grinder for the first one, and nice. then. Once I started thinking, like, oh, maybe I could do something with this, I ordered a two by thirty-six multi-tool, like those oh. belt those belt grinders that go oh. on the side the side of a bench grinder. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I worked with that for the first year, and then that was right when House came out with the first gen Revolution.
0: Mm-hmm. And you and jumped on that.
1: I bought the plans. And I built, I, we, my work is right across the street from an industrial steel supplier. Nice. So I walked over there and I bought some three-eighths plate and I cut the entire thing out. I made it from oh. scratch. That's, wow. and that's my, that's still my primary grinder today.
0: Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. See, I've always like, I've always admired people that could, you know, like even, even today, I don't think I could take those plans and do it myself because there's such intricate machining to do.
1: I wouldn't do it again. Yeah. <laughs> That's for sure. Yeah. yeah.
0: And it's just like, you know, you you needed a belt grinder, so you bought plans and you built it yourself, which is the cheap way of doing it. And then you also built yourself a kiln because, you know, you, you have the abilities. You obviously through your day job you're very mechanically savvy. So Yeah.
1: I mean I get- it's go ahead. I get obsessed. I get obsessed with stuff yeah. and, um, uh, something left over from like my childhood. Like I, uh, I have this need to learn new things and like learn. I need to be self-sufficient. That's mm. like my, ho- my whole thing. I have to be self-sufficient. Mm. I'm so bad about asking for help or like, like lifting heavy things and asking for help. I'll figure out a way to do it without asking for help. Mm. Um and building my own tools kind of came along with that. I'm at the point now where I don't have time. I will be building another kiln here shortly. I've already ordered the bricks. Um, I want to build a long one, like four feet deep. Whoa. You yeah. want swords? Yes. Holy I want... shit,
0: like four feet. You're doing like claymores and shit. Yeah. Do you have, so. do you have a sword in mind already for it? Nope. No? You just want to do it?
1: I just want to do it, and I've always wanted to do it. I've always, I've always loved swords, and, uh, and like you could kind of see it with my knives now. I take a lot more time and care in the longer blades. I, I love grinding longer and longer and longer blades. So I think mm. swords are a natural progression, whether or not they're marketable or feasible to sell. Who that's knows? the
0: thing. That's a th- well. That's the thing that the fifty knife cleaver order from that chop shop gives you the ability to do whatever you want with the rest of your month
1: yeah that's true
0: that's that's got to be like a level of freedom that most people you know crave that's something that i would love
1: yeah i'd like to pick up another bulk batch and if i could get another reoccurring bulk batch which there's something in the works right now i don't want to really say i don't want to say much about it there's actually two things in the works but i don't i don't want to jinx it i guess right you know what i mean um, but I think if I were able to land another one, I would quit both my day jobs and just work from home.
0: Wait, both your day jobs? I thought you just had the the master, you know, the the small engine repair.
1: No, I still go to my in laws and work on stuff for them every now and again. But um, the only reason I'm still there is because it's my wife's family, and I feel guilty no. if I quit.
0: So. <laughs> well, I feel like you know the 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 mother or the in laws would be more excited for you to branch out on your own because that's what you want to do.
1: Yeah. Like I, don't know I feel like I would
0: be more, I would feel more guilty, you know, quitting a small business for a guy who, you know, it's not like you can be replaced and that small engine repair very easily. I feel like, you know, the family would be a lot more open to being like, Oh yeah, Ryan, go do what you got to do. Like this is, this is your life. You want to do what you want to, what makes you happy.
1: You would think so, but that's <laughs> that's um, not... And, they're not that kind of people.
0: Oh, well, you know, it is what it is, right?
1: <laughs> yeah. It is what it is, and I'll figure it out eventually, and everything will work out. And yeah. Everything will be good. I know one thing, that knives are where all my focus is going to be. Yeah. Um, like, I, I basically... I don't want to turn wrenches anymore. Like I'm one of them. I, it's weird. I, I, I learn something until I feel like I've mastered it. And with small engines, I definitely have. I mean, I got the pieces of paper with my name on it to prove it. Sure. And then I get bored with it. Mm. You know what I mean? Like now at work, I pretty much uh, replace the boss when he's not there and I very rarely fix anything and because I had left for a little while and then when I came back they had already hired a second mechanic but he's young so now I, I pretty much like he goes Ryan what's wrong with this and I go fix that and then you know mm. it's like that story that gets told I think I've heard it on the work for it twice now about the the guy who had the broken uh, Ben Butler told it the guy who had the broken boat and he walked around and listened and tested, and then grabbed a hammer and tapped one spot, and then sent him a ten thousand dollar bill.
0: And they needed the itemized list. Yeah,
1: yeah, and it was like uh, nine hundred ninety nine thousand or nine thousand nine hundred ninety nine dollars for knowing where to tap.
0: One dollar to tap it. Mm hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's kind of the thing, and and you, so it sounds like you are you know teaching this up and comer to basically be you someday
1: kinda like, yeah we're different we have different upbringings different mentalities he's a well, good of course. kid of course. he's a he's a great kid he's just he's very sheltered
0: do you get a level of enjoyment because at the end of the day you're helping somebody come up
1: yeah i like teaching people stuff okay i'm not the best i'm not the best teacher because i'm i I'm what's referred to as an autodidact, which is somebody who is only capable of being self-taught. So I can watch somebody do something on a YouTube video, but I don't retain it until I do it myself. Mm. Um, so like everything I have to do it myself. And that that's one thing with the water jetting for the blanks is I was thinking like, oh, I'd buy a Langmuir. But so that way I'm able to do it myself to be self-sufficient but Mm. i might have to bite the bullet around that one but it's hard for yeah it's hard for me to teach because i'm like do this and he's like he's like why yeah or how or why or you know there's a lot of hows with working on small engines because like there's clips and little bolts and like you have to fish bolts through spots that most people don't see but if you're a mechanic, you get used to seeing thing, how things come together and how they work. That's, See,
0: that's, that's something that I have never, like, for instance, uh, a couple months ago, I had the serpentine belt go out on my van. And I had, I had changed out the serpentine belt on my, you know, Chevy S10. But, you know, with the S10, I mean, you don't have to practically take anything off to, you know, get the serpentine belt back to where it needs to go. Yeah, to put on a new one, where with the Chevy Astrovan, I had to take off a shit ton of stuff to get down to where I needed to get. Yeah. That and is some... just, it's something that I enjoyed while I was doing it, but I was so intimidated to approach it.
1: Yeah. And some people just don't have the mechanical sight. Um, and it's like, not saying you don't, I'm just saying like some, like my wife, for instance, if she opens the hood of her car, it's just a bunch of hoses and plastic and she has no idea what she's looking at right you know but i open up the hood of a car and i'm like there's the alternator there's a the power steering pump that shroud comes off this this gets unbolted here to take this off like it's just something my my brain's always done that when i was three or four years old my mother would sit me down with a stubby screwdriver set and an old phone or a vcr or something that like she dug out of the trash and i would take it apart and put the pieces in a paper bag and that would, that would occupy me for hours. It's one of my earliest memories. It's just always something I've been able to do.
0: That is so interesting. Um, would you then, you know, graduate to the point where you take something apart and then put it back together?
1: Yeah, yeah. That's I a can progression. I see that in you. That's the hard part. Like, taking stuff apart without breaking it more and then putting it back together. Because in the mechanic world, especially small engines, so you diagnose something, you take it apart and then you order the parts, and you have to wait for the parts. So sometimes it's two, three months before you put it back together.
0: And you have to remember how every single last little thing, if especially on something that you, you've you never worked on before. Like, that's yeah. a puzzle in itself.
1: Right. Yep.
0: Oh, my goodness. That is, that is where my poor memory would never, you know?
1: Uh, yeah. Uh, it's, like, it gets easier and easier because... Working at a dealership, we're working on the same things over and over and over and over again. Right. Um, so you like you start to memorize motors or pieces sure. of a pieces of equipment. There's nothing I can't tell you about a Husqvarna lawn tractor or um, a Toro snowblower. You know what I mean? Like every nut, every bolt.
0: Sure. And then once you've once you've memorized that, you can go on to a totally different brand, and you know it might be things might be in a different place or might look slightly different, but you know, genuinely, you are generally you'll have okay. Well, that's an alternator. Obviously, that like the there's the same types of pieces that go together, and you could figure it out if you had to.
1: Right. They all look similar. Um, right. So once once you start learning that stuff, the the growth of knowledge is exponential because like my boss would take in odd pieces of equipment just to keep us on our toes so that we had fresh stuff to work on. Cause you get complacent. Sure. You know, I mean, and, and, uh, everything has like every brand, every piece of equipment, they all have known issues, reoccurring, mm. reoccurring problems that most the homeowner, just regular Joe Schmo, would never know about. And then when you're a technician and you're working on them all day long, you see, like, okay, this specific model has coil issues. Mm -hmm. Uh, This this specific model, uh, this one bearing on that one spot blows out constantly for some reason. Um,
0: Now, back into conspiracy theory talk, do you think that that is – Do you think it's something that is engineered so that mo? because I imagine if something goes wrong for, let's say 20% of the people, when something goes wrong, they'll just say, screw it. I'll get another one because you know, it's, it's cheaper or easier for them or, you know, prices not an object for them. So, you know, it would be easier for them to just buy a different one or buy a newer one once it blows up after two years.
1: Instead yes instead of and now the,
0: that's 20% more profit that they would be able to get as a company or is it that you know sometimes you know when they when they engineer things you know there's always going to be something that fails and for every company it's going to be something different
1: um yeah there's actually a term for it it's called planned obsolescence
0: right 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 yeah that's just evil in my mind like that's some bullshit
1: it's greed. It's 100% yeah. greed. Like, uh, let's take... Um, everybody knows Husqvarna chainsaws. Sure. Chris Magnus is going to hate me for this. Um, oh, yeah? oh, yeah? Yeah, yeah. He loves Husqvarna chainsaws. Actually, well, his saw is a prime example. He runs a 562 XP. It's an $800 chainsaw. Okay. The bearings on the crankshaft on older saws were metal cages that hold the balls together. And they look just like the bearings that are in our Platen wheels. Um,
0: okay, okay.
1: The new saws, the Husqvarnas, those cages are plastic.
0: Ooh. So they yeah. get
1: they get hot. They the cages break down, warp, and then they shatter. And the motor eats them. And you either have to replace the bearings, which we usually don't do because of planned obsolescence. The crankshafts are cheaper. So, it actually takes some material off the crank when the bearings go mm-hmm. and they'll suck air in between the bearing and the and the crank, which is bad
0: so I feel like somebody could set up a whole side business of, okay, so you know, let's say with that specific thing, you know that that plastic piece is the bullshit piece that they've made, so that you then after X amount of years, a certain amount of population, instead of having it fixed, will just buy new. I feel like someone could set up a whole business that when, whenever a new saw comes out or whatever, you take it apart, you figure out what the planned obsolescent piece is, and then you manufacture a piece that's going to last 100 years to replace it so that now you have a saw that's going to last a hell of a lot longer.
1: See, the kicker is they thought of that. So no the, shit. I'm
0: of course nothing in this world is an original thought.
1: <laughs> so uh, on your crankshafts on any motor, you have a seal. If it's a four stroke, that seal is designed to hold oil into the engine. If it's okay. a two stro- if it's a two stroke, that seal is designed to hold air out of the engine. Okay. Uh, air burns hotter than gas. If right. you have two too much air in your fuel in a two-stroke because it's cooled by mixing oil with the gas, it'll blow up.
0: Okay.
1: So, on those saws with the plastic bearings, they put the seals in the bearings. So, okay. on the old saws, the crankcase was cast to hold the seal outside the bearing, so they were separate. Mm. And if the seal went, you could just pop it out and put in a new one. Mm-hmm. On these new ones, you can still replace the seals, but you can't upgrade the bearing unless you find a bearing that already has that grade seal in it.
0: Oh
1: if that makes sense.
0: I mean, you kind of lost me there in the middle, but i I can kind of understand that not only have they planned do they have planned obsolescence, but they've made it so that you couldn't upgrade it.
1: Yeah, uh Damn like man. uh your normal lawn tractor, like any lawnmower that you're riding on and mowing lawns with, the frame weighs about 20 pounds. Mm. We say they're made out of old cat food cans. (laughs) Because literally it's like a stamped piece of metal. So here where it snows, we put Burko snowblowers on them. That uh, the lift for the snowblower is a winch. And then people will go and they'll bypass the limit switch on the winch because the switches fail. So they just bypass them. And then they pick it up and they don't let off the switch and it crumples the tractor. Oh, jeez! Squishes it. We've had ones come in that the rear wheels wouldn't touch the ground. Oh, jeez! Because they were crushed. Um, But like, and everything's switching over to computerized stuff now. Like those chainsaws, for instance, um, they're what's called auto tune, which means you can't adjust them yourself. They're computerized. You have to plug them in. And they sing
0: like Jason Derulo.
1: (laughs) <laughs> the, no, no, that's the cars, the oh, new hybrid the the hybrids. <laughs> the first time I yeah. heard that I was like, what the fuck is there a choir going on around here? And the, it was a it was the hybrid because they're like, oh. but uh yeah, so the carburetors are computerized, which most people nowadays would be like, oh, that's a great thing. Well, it's not because if you have an issue on a a traditional two-stroke that you can adjust manually, the saw will stop running it'll mm-hmm. run like sh- it'll run like shit. These computerized ones will compensate for it to the point where you won't notice an issue until it's too late. Oh. And then well, we'll, and then might as well just buy a new one. 800 bucks. Here you go. Poop.
0: Man, I hate corporate greed. This is all mm-hmm. bullshit. This is all bullshit. It just makes you want to start your own business and not do any of that stuff.
1: Yeah. Um imagine what Noah sees. I'm working on like weed whackers and stuff noah's working on chevy trucks you know imagine what imagine what he's seeing in the vehicle world
0: how in the world like especially with all these electric vehicles coming through where there's i mean it's it's all gonna be computer chips and batteries like what the hell's noah gonna do
1: he's gonna have to either adapt or move on
0: oh man that's maybe i should have him on the show to talk about that type of stuff
1: Noah would be a great guy to have on the show.
0: Oh, I know he would be for sure. oh man so I guess we've we've kind of take taken this you know first knife into a whole different type of rabbit hole, but let's, I'm good let's, for tangents bro. I know man. and that's that's what makes not only you a great guest, but your show a great show because you know these little these tangents that you just keep going are so entertaining. but Thanks, uh, man. let's talk about, you know, obviously, like you said, you know, back in the day, your mom would sit you down and give you a, you know, something to tear apart to occupy you. Was that your, your Genesis as a maker? Or was there something like, you know, I'm sure you've listened to my interviews before. I always ask, what was the first thing that you started off? Okay. I want this and I made it myself.
1: Hmm. The first thing I ever remember making was a birdhouse in boy Scouts.
0: Dude, me too. (laughs) not in boy scouts not in boy scouts but in my grandpa's barn i uh birdhouses
1: i was in boy scouts for one meeting oh yeah and and then we moved but in that one meeting uh we made a birdhouse okay and and then i kind of forgot about making stuff but it was it was a cool feeling you know especially when you're a little kid i was like six six or seven right i was like i was like oh i made this i don't even know what ever happened to it but uh when I got into high school, Brewer, Brewer, Maine, the high school had a full-blown shop. So, we're talking a wood shop, metal shop, forging shop. Whoa! They had a coal forge in the back corner of the shop. They had brakes, every kind of welder you could imagine. Any piece of equipment you could imagine for a shop, Brewer High School had it. Right. And I was very bad at school. I, Being how I learned the way I learn and how public schools are structured, it just it didn't fit with me. They couldn't keep me interested. Sure. I, f- I failed out of high school bad. Um, the only classes I actually got grades in was art and shop. Okay. So to keep me in school, because they knew that I was going to drop out, um, they allowed me to take all those classes.
0: Interesting.
1: So I was taking one year, my sophomore year. I was taking three different art classes, a drafting class, and three different shop classes. So it was like regular shop, uh, shop two, which was like a little upgraded version of shop one, and early American wooden metal. Wow. And I still ended up, I still ended up flunking out and getting my GED. But sure, um, school just uh, like it just never worked for me because some people don't learn that way. And it's not that I'm, I'm not intelligent. It's that I have to be engaged. And I took algebra one five times Mm. and I'm like sleeping through the whole thing because it's fucking boring, you know?
0: Right. It's, it's not the way that you learn. It's like, it's like, you know, there's, there's that meme of a fish, a monkey, a horse and a, a giraffe and the, the thing over the top says, okay, your test is, you know, how how well can you climb this tree? Well, that monkey is going to do incredibly well, but that fish is fucked.
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a quote that I think was falsely attributed to Albert Einstein, where he said, suppo- allegedly, he said, um, if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree, you're going to go through life thinking everyone's an idiot.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah. I... I I saw it from a meme. Of course, this is like the most millennial bullshit you've ever heard. But (laughs) (laughs) I I learned a Albert Einstein quote through a fucking meme.
1: (laughs) I don't know if it's actually him, but uh, it's been attributed to him. Okay. But it's uh, yeah. And and that's all it was. And like there's, there's more to it than that. My upbringing was not, it's, it wasn't traditional, I guess you would say. And like, I, I was very distracted as a child and like I ran away I guess, from home when I was 14 and it was well, hard it was hard okay. to keep a runaway in school. you know what I mean so it's was like
0: so I, there's there's two different options we can do with this interview. do we, do we want to go into that type of stuff or do we want to just gloss you know it's it's we don't have to go into your personal background if you don't want to.
1: That's up to you, man. it's your show. I'm not ashamed in any way I don't I don't feel. If anything, it, it helped me. Um, okay. So I, you know, I don't, I don't mind at all. Um, it, it made me who I am now. Well, to, okay. To... So
0: let's let's take this route. Let's get, go like a brief, like just a quick overview of what happened, and then talk about how it positively improved your life. Um, hold on, I'm gonna cough. <clears throat> how dare you? This is a podcast.
1: <laughs> I know, I know. I have a, I have a mute. <laughs> I've got a mute button and everything. Um, uh, so my my dad left when I was like super young. So mm-hmm. he, it's actually like a w- crazy story. So my dad, my biological father, married my babysitter mm-hmm. while he still lived with us. That so, isn't wow. Okay. Isn't that so? Like, isn't that crazy? And that's uh, a wild move. <laughs> it's a bold move cotton um and one Here I am i'm trying to be serious but i can't <laughs> no no it's fine you don't have to be serious and so he she showed up presumably to babysit us one day me and my sister and she was like where's my husband and i don't remember any of this this is all i was like six months old oh, so okay. and my mom was like what the fuck and he ended up leaving they moved down to georgia so after that I only met him in face to face twice. Once when I was like 5 or 6 and then I flew down there when I was 19. And so I grew up in a single mother household and we were fucking poor. Like yeah. you know, Brian House says being poor is the best motivator. He is absolutely 100% correct. Mm-hmm. I I am a st- staunch workaholic. My wife is a very patient woman. I spend if I don't have to be at a day job, I'm in this shop 16 hours a day. Wow. And it stems from growing up watching my mom try and bring us up and the stress she was under. And like, I never understood when I was a kid, the stress she was under. And then as I became an adult and I have kids now and like we've struggled, I, I understand now like all that stress she was under Like, to put it in a perspective of how poor we were, my mom had a friend who worked at a local JCPenney, and when they would have clothes that were damaged, they would cut chunks out of them and then throw them in the dumpster. And her friend would save those clothes for her, and we would, like, so if they had cut one sleeve off a hoodie and cut, like, the belly off a long sleeve shirt, we'd cut the other sleeve off the hoodie, and I'd wear the hoodie over the long sleeve shirt. Um like stuff like that. Like we were like as poor as it gets. And as soon as I was like physically big enough to work, I started working. So my first job, I was like 12 and I was selling ice cream at fairs for her friend. And I did, I did that. And like, that was like, we would travel around. So like we'd travel around the state of Maine and I'd sleep in a tent behind his ice cream stand. I was like 12 or 13. Wow. and then as soon as I was legally able to work, I got my first job, KFC, Taco Bell represent. Nice. And then, um, uh, yeah, and even when I was a runaway, I, I still maintained my job. I was like one of the only homeless kids that was working. Um, and I, the running away was, I was 14 and I think the hormones were just taken over and I felt more of a burden on my mom than a help. So, so I left, which in retrospect crushed her and I'm sure like was so fucking traumatizing. I feel so bad about it. But um, in the other hand, I saw what the real world is like. So like when you're out there at 14 homeless and you're hanging out with 30 other homeless kids, um, which is off on a tangent how I met my brothers. So my brothers that I talk about all the time that's how we all met we were all the same age roughly and we were all living on the streets and just
0: so they're not your they are your biological brothers or they're not your brothers
1: they're not they're not but they might they might as well be might as well be right they're the they're the family i've chosen gotcha um and my my brother jeff shout out to wicked bear creations his biological dad is who we all refer to as pops so pops pops took all of us under his wing and and was like you have to work you have to be a man you have to fucking do this you can't just be out here partying all the time um and like the tattoo shop came from pops so pops bought a tattoo shop and employed a few of us uh not me i just hung out there but like uh jeff my brother joel who owns the shop now Um, they all got started and came up through that. My brother Richie came along later um, to work in the shop as a tattoo artist, but it, I forgot where I was going with this, but so. So
0: the original question was, let's, let's go over briefly your, your coming up and then how it affected you positively.
1: Oh, okay. So after I ran away and, I lived on the streets for a bit and like you start to see people do things that are like what the fuck are you doing you know like why like the really dark things that happen in our society like people in the throes of serious drug addiction and stuff like I witnessed all that stuff really young Mm -hmm. firsthand and it changed me there was there was one day I think I was like 16 or 17 and I saw a bunch of people beat the shit out of another guy over like 300 bucks. Wow. Like they were robbing him. He didn't owe them money. And I wow. was like, I, I need to fucking, why am I fucking here? I need to get the fuck out of here. Um, and so I just stopped. I went home and I, you know, I said, Mom, I'm sorry. And I'm still alive. And.
0: Man, that had to have been just the hardest thing you had to do. It's like after, of course, running away. You know, you're you're running away from the situation, but then to come home and confront it.
1: Yeah, yeah. It was. Then you know, she, my mom is like the sweetest, most understanding lady ever. Um, right. She she was like, I'm just happy you're home and you're fine, and you're wow. okay. I'm like, yeah, wow. I'm 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 good. Let's let's you know, let's do this. And then um, I started. Dating my ex-wife, shortly after that, okay, um, because I only stayed at home again for about another year because by that time I was old enough to move out like officially, sure. and so I got a you know standard thing—you get an apartment with your buddies, and um, and then I started dating my ex-wife, and she got pregnant, and everything changed. Right, we moved to California. Um, lived there for about two years. And then, you know, shit happens and the marriage didn't work out. And she left me out there mm. and I lived in a tent for 57 days Wow! by myself. And then uh, I was working at the same time. So I was like accumulating my money so I could come back. Um, Cause when she left, she took all the money oh, and Jesus. you know, that's how things go. But in that 57 days, I think that was the biggest transformation of my life because I had nothing. I had no, you know, you can't watch TV. Um, uh, Smartphones weren't a thing back then. I was like, this was 15 years ago. Right. Um, And uh, so I just laid in the tent and read books and worked during the day and reflected and realized, like, where I had gone wrong and where I need to do better and what my talents are and I need to – I need to do something to harness them. And uh, mm. when, I got, when I got back to Maine, I got a job with Ruby Tuesdays as a salad bar attendant. Okay. And being single at that point, and it, my son lived with his mom, um, and I'm going through a divorce, um, all I had to do was work. Right. Like right. what else am I gonna do? So I worked and I went from salad bar attendant to salary manager in nine months. I did that for four years, um, and then when that came to its end, I uh, cooked for another year or so, and I was like, I don't really want to do this anymore. Cooking sucks, man. Of all the jobs I've had, building houses, working in fast food restaurants, you know, fixing stuff, cooking is the physically and mentally hardest job I've ever done. Wow. wow. Uh, cooks are not praised nearly enough. So then after that, it was actually while I was working at Applebee's cooking. I was like, man, I I just want something to tinker on. And uh, because, you know, I had done it all my life. My my bedroom growing up looked like a TV repair shop. And uh, so I just said it out loud one day. I was like, man, I'll just say it out loud and see what happens. I said, man, I really want something to tinker on like a chainsaw and one of the one of the servers heard me and she goes, "Ryan, I got thousands of chainsaws." <laughs> and I I laughed. I was like, "Yeah, right." Cuz she's this she's beautiful. She's this beautiful, sweet, soft-spoken girl and like I'm like, "Yeah, right, Ada." And she's like, "No, I do." She goes, "My dad passed away and he owned a huge small engine shop and we've got all this stuff and we don't know what to do with it." And so I drove down and I shit you not. It was probably a 25 foot by 25 foot room with a hip deep pile of chainsaws covering oh my the entire god the entire floor. Thousands of them. Damn she's, mother load. Yeah, she said, "Give me a dollar a piece, and you can take as many as you want."
0: Holy shit! You, so you buy, you get one, you fix it up, you take that money, and you.
1: I bought buy, fifty.
0: Right. Go ahead, I bought.
1: Sorry. I, I bought fifty of them. Okay. So I filled the I had a S10 Blazer back then and I filled the back of it. No
0: shit, you had an S10.
1: I'd love that. I'd I'd buy another one if if oh. I found a good one in decent shape. I love my S10 Blazer.
0: Okay, I'm going to try not to tangent off too much, but what year was your S10? Uh 01. Okay. Mine was an 85 S10 truck.
1: Oh, those I are the old square bodies.
0: Yeah, I love that truck. Anyway, sorry. Let's not derail. Let's continue.
1: But so I bought all these chainsaws, I brought them home, I had no idea what I was going to do with them. And I was like, there's got to be a way to make money off these. So uh, knowing nothing at that point, um, I picked a few that I I thought I would try and fix. And then I stripped the rest down and I parted them out on eBay. Mm. And then I it never stopped. Yeah from there I bought two more loads off her before they ended up cleaning out the place. And then I started seeking them out. And before I knew it, I was known as the chainsaw guy. And then shortly thereafter I started working at Bradstreet and then knives came along and now I'm here.
0: And now you're here. So weird. I mean, just listening to that story, which is, I mean, one of the most heartfelt stories I've heard in a long time, you know, it seems like going through and like hitting rock bottom. I mean, talk about how much more motivation would a person ever need than to be at your lowest lows and working yourself out of it, you know?
1: Yeah. It's, and it's like, uh, <clears throat> my wife says it's almost like uh trauma because I am, she says I am incapable of relaxation. Mm. So like, we'll watch a TV show or a movie. And as soon as that movie's over, I'm like, all right, back to work. And I go out to the shop wow. and I, I just can't do it. I can't not grow. I have to keep growing. If I, if I don't grow, I'm going to die is, is like how I feel about it.
0: Man, it's got, it, it has to be on the trauma scale because, but it's, it's, it's a positive thing in you that you never stop and you're never content to just, sit down and, and wither away Yeah, because I'm, you've gone through the worst of it.
1: I, I've learned to be really like uh, self-accountable <clears throat> um, that's why I don't drink also because my father was a vicious drunk, still is uh, he's been to rehab 13 times <clears throat> and most recent one was last year so it's still a problem and he's in his 60s and his father um, was the worst Imagine the worst drunk you could possibly imagine, and that was my grandfather. So it was like, uh, like when he died, they said his liver was the size of a quarter.
0: Oh Jesus!
1: He was bad. He wasn't even allowed to see the grandkids. Um, so I I learned their lessons, right? That the, that they never learned. So like my sons, both of them have never even seen me sip alcohol, and they've never seen me drunk. Right. And right. like I smoke, obviously. I mean, I chain smoke on the podcast, but. They've never seen me smoke.
0: Right, right.
1: I don't smoke in front of my kids, and like I don't. Uh, yeah. And it, so like I felt a personal duty to break that cycle. Right. Um, right. As just as par- yeah, part of my obsessions, I guess. And, like I, and like I don't have a bad relationship with my dad. I've got his phone number in my phone. I call him all the time. Sure. But it's more of it's more of like a like a buddy buddy relationship than a father son relationship. Right, right. I'm like, what are you doing, you drunk fuck? Like, what's up? Right, right. You know, like, I talk to his wife all the time. My mom still, it still, like, affects her. And I'm like, if I even bring up my stepmom in front of her, she starts crying. I'm like, mom, it's been, like, 40 years. You got to stop. Right. But yeah. Wow. Ho- holding grudges is bad for you.
0: It is. It is. And, you know, seeing that there was, that was something that was negative and, you know you're rising above You're like you just said you're breaking that cycle that is something that the vast majority of people don't do
1: yeah that's awesome uh, like i grew up with everybody in my family because they were all my mom's family telling me what a piece of shit my dad was right and then as a boy you're it's instilled in us that like we are our fathers so i was like i was like oh my god if my dad's a piece of shit that must mean i'm part piece of shit
0: but i imagine you can then flip that into motivation to not be a piece of shit which is obviously what you've done
1: exactly exactly wow. uh and uh, that that also links into my knife making why i named it ryan chadbourne knife works is like a homage to my mother because chadbourne is the is my mother's side of the family um
0: I've always wondered, like, I I feel like maybe you told me that before, but it just didn't stick. And now hearing the backstory, I understand why that is.
1: And like when I told her, when she saw me post what the name was, she cried because forever I've been Ryan Coakley, you know, Chadbourne's my middle name. So she was always that hidden part that nobody ever mentioned. And so Mm -hmm. like every time my name was mentioned, it reminded her of my dad Mm -hmm. and it was like, I, you know, this was a easy, small way of me showing my mom. Yes. You fucking are the one that raised me. I am me because of you. And, um, and there's other aspects to it too. When I was trying to figure out what I was going to call it, I started going through all my ancestry on both sides and it, and it was very apparent that the Chadbourne side was where all of the craftsmanship comes from. Mm -hmm. Um, so the first Chadbourne's, Immigrated here under contract to build the first uh, sawmills on the East Coast in the 1600s. So they came here, they built the sawmills, and they quickly became one of the wealthiest families in the area. And they were master carpenters, master blacksmiths for generations. Um, And one guy even made nylons, like my great-great-great uncle or something like that. Um, so it became very apparent to me that all the craftsmanship comes from the Chadbourne side. Um, sure. So it was it was natural that it and there's not any Chadbourne knife makers. So there's a couple Coakleys.
0: A lot of times, a lot of times we call you Ryan Chadbourne because it's Ryan Chadbourne Knife Works. I yep. feel like you know before I felt bad because I you know oh well that's not his actual last name. I feel like calling you Ryan Chadbourne is almost more of a more natural thing now.
1: Yeah. And it's, it's totally fine with me. Um, okay. uh, it's like most people here who've known me forever call me Coakley. Right. Because it, you know, it's my last yeah. name. That's well, everybody. When I,
0: when I go back to my hometown, everyone calls me cone or Conner or whatever. Like that's, it, it's just something that's natural. You get called by your last name.
1: Right. Yeah. So, I wanted, I don't know, something that was my own, you know, like, uh, my, my past and my upbringing and my childhood. Cause I live in a small area. Everything is linked to my last name. Mm. And so I wanted something that was mine. I was building this for me. It's mine. It's w- who I really am. It's what it's my passion. It's I pour every bit of myself into my knives. Um, so I I didn't want it to be linked to Coakley. I wanted it to be its own thing.
0: That's awesome. That that seems like a very natural progression for you. Like that seems like something that obviously means a lot to you and is very, you know, centered to your what you want with this whole thing, but not only that, but now knowing the backstory, it makes so much more sense. I love yeah. that. That's awesome. Because this was such a great two hour long conversation, we have decided to split it up into two separate parts. I hope you enjoyed part one of my interview with Ryan from Ryan Chadboard Knifeworks. Please go ahead and come back next week to enjoy the second part because we have a fantastic rest of the conversation. Please go ahead and check out my buddy Ryan over at Ryan Chadboard Knifeworks over on Instagram and all of the other social medias. Thank you guys all for listening. We appreciate your support and definitely check out Maritime Knife Supply and Baker Forge and Tool. Have a great rest of your day.